0: Today's scripture is Colossians 1, 13 through 23. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated.
1: Well, I don't know if you guys have looked at your calendars recently, but it is three days until Christmas. Is everyone ready? Yes? No? Maybe? Uh, It is the time of year when we have really high expectations for all that we want to get done, all that we hope this season brings, all the get-togethers, all the relationships, all the connections. I mean, this is, for many of us, the part of year that we really look forward to, right? This is, this is the good part. Uh, we're going to be able to find a thoughtful and affordable gifts for everyone that uh, we want to provide them for. Uh, we're gonna have time on our calendars, to have all kinds of meaningful get-togethers uh, with everyone uh, that means something to us. And uh, of course, we're going to have family together and the kids are off school. And so we take them off of their schedules and give them nothing to do and load them up with sugar and uh, put them in uncomfortable clothes and pose them for pictures. And it's going to be great, right? There, There is something about all the expectations uh, of Christmas. Uh, we walk into the season with uh, high expectations of ourselves and, and of others and uh, what we're going to experience, all the celebrations and, and the parties and the get-togethers. And, and we expect snow to fall gently on the ground and sort of magically disappear so that we never have to shovel it. Uh, and uh, we uh, look for uh, happy endings and, and reconciliation and, and everything sort of coming together. Uh, kind of like one of those Hallmark Christmas movies, right? You know those, uh, starring a 2000s actor that you'd forgotten about. Uh, And she's a a busy big city executive professional or something, and she's sort of lost faith in herself or Christmas or love or whatever. And she goes home to visit a widowed parent or help save the family business and uh, finds love unexpectedly and magically with a handsome guy in a plaid shirt and a golden retriever. And, you know, they meet Santa Claus, and, and her faith in Christmas is restored, and, and it all gets wrapped up in 90 minutes. It would be great if life were like that, right? And, and sometimes life is good like that, right? I mean, at, at this time of year, many of us, we do experience some of that, right? The, the get-togethers with family, and, and feasting around a table, and, and seeing loved ones that we haven't seen. And... and celebrating with gift-giving, and, and of course, remembering the reason that we celebrate this time of year. That God has sent His Son into the world. But it doesn't always feel that way, right? I mean, it doesn't always feel like the Hallmark Christmas movie either. Just as often, life does not live up to our expectations, and things aren't the way they should be. Uh, my wife, Amelia, spent a good bit of time uh, carefully and creatively putting all the lights up outside our house and uh, arranged them very artistically on, on this set of bushes in front of our front porch. And, and it was just beautiful. And, and then we, you know, we had this warm, sunny day that made the snow melt off of the roof, really wet, heavy snow that came crashing down on the bushes, bent them in half, buried the lights, and I didn't even realize it until that night when we go to turn them on, and at that point now it's cold, and I go out with a broom, and I'm trying to sweep them off, and, and I overextend, and I break the broom handle. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I mean, that's the reality of our lives sometimes, right? Our bank accounts don't magically swell to accommodate all the gifts that we want to give to people. Our calendars don't suddenly become full of extra time for all the get-togethers we want to have. Uh, any of you willing to confess that you have not your, finished your Christmas shopping yet? Okay, shame on all of you, because I'm done. Because Amelia did all the Christmas shopping, and I can't wait until Christmas morning to find out what I got her. The, the anxiety and the stress that we live with sometimes, it, it doesn't just melt away because it's December, sometimes it, it even ramps up. The grief, the pain that some of you carry through life, it, it doesn't necessarily take a holiday at this time of year. Life doesn't always feel like it ought to be. Even the best moments that we have don't last. And, and even when they do, they leave us longing for more. Because we were made for more. We've been in this Advent series for now, this is our fourth week in this passage in Colossians 1, trying to put the, the Christmas story that we're all familiar with in context of what God is doing through, throughout all of the Bible, ultimately. We started reminding ourselves how we were created to worship, that we were made by God and for God, and we were meant to find our, our life and our meaning and our purpose in relationship with Him. But... <laughs> We decided that was a bad deal, and we declared our independence and and went our own way. And instead of worshiping God, now we worship ourselves, we worship the stuff that we can collect, the things that we can accomplish or achieve. But in love, God has not left us there. He sent His Son, not just to pay the penalty for our sins, but to change us, to reconcile us and bring us back to Himself, to redeem us. That's what Joey was talking about last week. God has come to reconcile us, and and for reconciliation to happen, someone has to move, someone has to take the first step, and someone has to sacrifice, to be willing to carry the weight. And that's what Jesus has done. And, And now, still in this passage in Colossians, this Sunday, we want to ask some questions. If God is, as Paul says, reconciling all things to himself in Christ, And that's going to be the future what does that have to do with now what what does that look like ultimately why don't we see more of that here and what kind of people would we be if we lived in that eternity that we're heading towards well that's what we want to explore today because this is the explanation for why we have all those big expectations because we were made for more than this, and God is calling us in Christ, not just back to what we were originally, but something even better that we get to experience, not just there and then, but here and now. So today we want to look at what will be eternally, why things aren't that way, and how to live as eternal people, eternal worshipers today. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to... Colossians chapter 1, if you're using one of those black Bibles in the seat underneath you in front, it's on page 1168, and I don't know where it is in your Bible or uh, on your app, but Colossians chapter 1, in, in the early part of this section, maybe you, this pricked your ears, you heard this. Uh, Paul starts in verse 13 saying, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And and then down in verse 19, he goes on to say, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, but also through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. We talked about these, this idea of redemption. It's, it's about rescue. It's about uh, taking something that is where it shouldn't be, something that has become corrupted or broken, or uh, and, and making, making it back to what it's supposed to be. And, and that's part of this reconciliation that Paul talks about in verse 19 and verse 20. See, it's not just that What God is doing is forgiving us, which is amazing. But our problem is much more serious than that. We need to have our relationship with God restored. God takes us from the dominion, from the power of darkness, he says, and brings us into a gracious rule where his son is ordering everything well. And everything will work the way it's supposed to, including us. Everything will be the way it's supposed to be. Work would be productive and rewarding and fulfilling and and all that makes us human, art and thought and music and literature and culture and work, will be fulfilling and rewarding and glorifying to God. That's part of what Paul has in mind here. Because central to the Christian idea of the way things ought to be is what the Hebrew writers call shalom. It's this picture of flourishing and wholeness. Everything is ordered in the right way. Everything works the right way. Things are designed and intended by God in Creation and a gracious restoration of creation. Peace that that connects with justice and mutual respect and and deliberate and widespread concern for the common good and for the flourishing of everyone and everything around us. That's this picture that the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, give of a time when God would make things right again. We we even heard some of that in some of the readings today, where human crookedness will be straightened out and and the rough places made plain where lions would lie down with lambs, where everyone would live in peace and security under his own vine and fig tree, where you could go to sleep at night without having to have a weapon on your lap or locks on your doors, where children would grow up in families where they are loved and cared for and provided and And the community comes together to nurture and nourish lives and goodness and beauty. And deserts will flower and and all of nature will be fruitful and and benign and and reflect God's glory. And human beings would relate in brotherhood and sisterhood to one another. The, The differences and distinctions between nations and languages and cultures would be seen as beautiful expressions of God's creativity to be celebrated. Shalom. It's this picture of wholeness and flourishing and delight and goodness, the way things ought to be. And that includes all kinds of relationships internally and, and with others, with God and creation and individuals and families and communities and nations and groups. Uh, Neil Plantinga in uh, a fantastic book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, which I highly recommend, Uh, he he has some sort of creative ideas. What would that look like? Uh, Maybe the uh, all-terrain vehicle off-roading club would relate to forest streams by declaring them off-limits to its members in, in order to protect them. He, he sort of wonders humorously, will there be heavy metal music in heaven? And if so, maybe it will only be audible to those who enjoy it. <laughs> Healthy, strong families, safe communities, no graffiti on overpasses. Drivers would gladly yield the right-of-way to one another. Students at Harvard would respect the Dean's List students at North Dakota State University at Minot and seek to learn from them. You know, sort of the opposite of that example I shared a few months ago when I was at school at sort of an elite private university, and we would taunt the public school kids that we were playing against who were better than we were by saying, That's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for us someday. That's not shalom. Shalom would be valuing everyone's work and contributions and saying, labor, management, everyone matters and everyone's contributing. We would see differences in one another as attractive and important, and we're celebrating. Government officials would still do their jobs, but to no one's surprise, they would do them with integrity and honesty, and they would freely praise the work of other public officials, and newspapers would be filled with accounts of great beauty and moral courage. No one goes to bed hungry. No one goes to bed in fear. And God will reside with us in the unspeakable beauty that our hearts were made for and long for. And all of life will be worship in an unending crescendo of joy and beauty and delight. Has anyone noticed the world doesn't work that way? We've said earlier in the series that worship is admiration that overflows into action. And we were created to admire, esteem God ultimately, and that gets reflected in our lives. And we went wrong, and now we end up worshiping the wrong things, but God has come to restore us so that we would actually love and treasure and value God and worship Him. Because something has gone wrong something has gone desperately wrong with all of us. And not just the annoyances and difficulties and disappointments that we all experience in life, but the greatest problem we have is what the Bible calls sin. The Bible pictures sin in all kinds of ways, both as lawlessness and faithlessness. It's wandering from the path. It's Going across a boundary that we should not go across and then arguing with God that the boundary should be there in the first place. Sin is a hard heart. It's it's a stiff neck. It's blindness and deafness. It's disrupting the harmony of what God intended and then resisting God's attempt to restore that harmony by straightening us out. Because above all, sin is about breaking our relationship with God the source of all light and life and joy. That's why what Jesus does is so much more than just forgive our sins. We need to be restored because now instead of worshiping and loving and serving God, we worship and serve created things and ourselves. That's what Paul is getting at in verse 21. These images, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds we don't talk much about evil except you know in some extreme form right like really 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 bad people who do stuff that we would never do that's not the biblical picture of evil evil is us because we are separated from god in sin and going our own way and we do Sinful things that express our alienation and rejection of God. God hates sin, not just because it violates His law, but because it ruins what He intends for us to be. God is for shalom. He is for wholeness and flourishing and peace and joy. And that's why He is against sin. Sin is a violation of our human purpose, which is to live in God's shalom and build it into this world and extend it to more people. And sin takes the the loyalty and the energy and the creativity and the resources that ought to be used for constructing the city of God, as Plantinga says, and diverts it into construction projects of our own design. I remember when I started working in the corporate world in marketing management, I could not get promotions and raises fast enough. Not because I wanted more opportunity to serve people and lead with integrity and, you know, extend the good that our company was doing. I just, I wanted status and I wanted money. I wanted more stuff. We have homes, most of us beautiful, comfortable homes filled with all kinds of nice furniture and refrigerators full of food and entertainment. And it's so easy for me to go home at the end of the day and just retreat into that cocoon and close the door and not worry or care about what's going on in the world or with my neighbors. We, we take a place that should be about hospitality and warmth and welcome, and it becomes about me and my projects growing in you know my career can be about status and financial security and self-promotion and even relationships that are meant to be mutual self-giving and loving and serving one another can simply become waiting for the other person to serve me and then getting frustrated when they don't live up to what I think is their fair share of the bargain. Our problem, as St. Augustine says, is that our hearts are corrupt. We're turned in on ourselves. And and so we look to ourselves and what we can do and what we can have to please ourselves. We end up debasing ourselves and we sort of curve in and shrink into ourselves all the way to the end. We don't just need forgiveness. We need healing. We need wholeness. We need restoration of a relationship with God who is the source of all life and joy and peace. And thanks be to God, that is what he has done for us in Christ. But, but not just to forgive us so that we go to heaven one day. Reconciliation means someone has to move and someone has to sacrifice, and God has done that for us in Christ to bring us into the kingdom of his beloved son, who is now, in verse 20, reconciling to himself all things. All things. You who were, in verse 21, once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him see god is now at work bringing about that wholeness and blamelessness and holiness that he has declared is true of us because now we live in the kingdom where christ reigns and is ordering things produce shalom, to produce wholeness, to produce flourishing. That that picture that the prophets paint of what we're heading towards. That's our hope. And, And because of that hope, Paul says in verse 23 now, continue, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel of God restoring all things to himself, because that's the future that we're heading towards. That's what is eternally true. And so we continue on in our faith, Paul says, not just believing certain things about Jesus, but partnering with God now to become the kind of people who reflect what eternity will look like. Because we are citizens of that kingdom. God is now growing us in the use of uh, all our resources and thoughts and actions and words and and in our lives so that they would all become worship. They, They would all reflect His shalom, His wholeness, His plans for humanity. So what does that look like as we try to become people who fit into God's plans for what will be one day? Well, we could say those are kind of the eternally minded people, the people who are eternal worshipers. Because eternal worship starts here and now. We are heading towards what we will be one day and that's a reality here. Eternal in the Greek of the New Testament also means kind of not of this age, not belonging to this world. So now we live out that reality here. And that that shapes things like what we long for. A, A person who is reflecting eternal reality in Christ longs for certain things, and we want our desires and our longings to reflect what God cares for. We long for the power of the Holy Spirit and spiritual maturity. He longs for spiritual wholeness himself not just as a consolation prize, you know, when you can't be rich and admired, but because we actually want to be the kind of people that God created us to be. A whole person longs for other human beings. He or she wants to love and to be loved by them in the right kind of ways. He hungers for social justice. She she longs for nature's beauty and graces as a reflection of God's goodness. It's a person of integrity, a a person of consistent character that keeps their word. She weeps with those who weep, and and maybe even more impressively, rejoices with those who rejoice. You know, to celebrate someone else getting the promotion, someone else getting blessed, someone else getting the thing that you'd like to have. That's a real mark of reflecting God's flourishing. And, And we're motivated by... A faith that Paul mentions here, continuing in the faith, a faith that is grounded in the awareness of God's greatness and God's goodness. Because we have seen that God is good. He is fundamentally good to me all the time, whether I see it right now or not. That's why Paul says that we need to be steadfast and stable not shifting from the hope of the gospel because our circumstances are going to change. But what we're heading towards is not changing. So we continue in faith through the ups and downs of of pride and despair. And and even when God seems distant and, and maybe we lose the spiritual enthusiasm that we had at other times, we continue on in faith that at some point God will restore that to us too. Our faith is grounded in God's goodness, and and that overflows in gratitude. Gratitude is a response of people who know that God is good, and faith is a response of people who know that God can be trusted. So, we step out, and we take risks, and and we invite God to use our lives, our gifts, our resources, our, our work, our families to extend shalom. And like all spiritually healthy people, the spiritually whole person who's living for eternal worship knows the drag of sin and sloth and doubt and, and how liable I am to fool myself. And, and so I doubt my own doubts. In appropriate ways. I take up disciplines that, that will help me fight against the things that want to drag me backwards. Fasting and prayer and worship and taking an interest in people that maybe I'm not naturally attracted to and giving of my time and my resources to people and causes and ministries that advance God's kingdom. See, living for eternity, reflecting eternal worship includes those things like goals, and ends, and purposes, and attitudes. The point of life, you see, is, it's not to get rich, it's not to be popular, it's not even to be happy, although when that occurs, we're thankful for it. The point of life is to discover and align myself with God's purposes, God's good purposes, in. Extending his blessing and his glory and his shalom, his flourishing. Like Joey said recently, it's like you take a magnet and and it has this little piece of metal in it that the magnet gremlins keep pointing in the right direction. No, it's a piece of steel that is drawn towards magnetic north. And, and like a golfer lines up his feet and his eyes and his elbows the right way, and he's got the right grip, and he, he's making sure he's pointed towards the goal, we line ourselves up towards what we are heading for our resources, our attention, our energy, our intentions, our time. The point is, as Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom to invest my life in expanding the net balance of shalom in this world. That's it. Because that's what eternity will be. And that's what we're trying to live out here and now. Eternal worship does, does not mean endless, right? Nobody wants an endless worship service. Not you, not me. I mean, that's, right? The idea of floating on clouds playing harps forever that's not heaven. That's definitely not heaven. Our hope is in the resurrection of the body in a new heavens and a new earth where God will dwell with His people and we will grow into the fullness of everything that God intended for us from the beginning. And, and now we start to live that out because we know not just what God has done for us in Christ but what one day we will be. And God calls us then to take everything that He's entrusted to us and with faith and creativity and energy and and love and intention and desire to invite God to use us to increase the flourishing and the joy and the glory that will be our eternal reality. You have been called to undertake the love of your neighbors investing yourself to to reduce their suffering and their lostness, to show hospitality to strangers, to to show gratitude and blessing to to friends and mentors, to seek justice, to make something beautiful from your one unique life. And and I love the way that so many people at Faith do that in so many different ways. We have a group of people here at Faith that have gotten involved going across the street to the apartment complexes to advocate on, on behalf of poor and underprivileged people who are being taken advantage of by their management and, and living in horrible conditions and to advocate for justice for them. We have other people who think about immigrants coming into our community and, and what would I want if I were moving into a new culture? i, I need to know the language, i need to know the customs, and, and so they lead English classes and they develop friendships and they become conversation partners. And, We have people that care profoundly about defending the cause of the unborn and helping women in crisis pregnancies. And and so they partner with life centers and and other ministries. We have so many people that care about homelessness and people with broken lives and, and broken situations and broken communities that are working at places like Wheeler Mission and Shepherd Community Center and Good News Ministries. People that care about the poor being able to live in decent housing working with Habitat for Humanity, and, and on and on and on in, in a dozen different ways. You know, when we moved to Indiana, my dad uh, graced us with a gift that we had not needed in Missouri, a gas-powered snowblower, and we've gotten use out of it. And the thing that I discovered after moving here is that snowblower works really well on my driveway. But it doesn't just work on my driveway. It works on my neighbor's driveways, too, because as it turns out, we have like three single moms living in our neighborhood who have a hard time with their schedule and everything else going on doing their driveway. So I've been able to bless them. So now, actually, when it snows a bunch, i like, that's kind of cool. Now I get an opportunity to help out our neighbors. One of those ladies has a son in junior high on the autism spectrum, and he will wander over into our house unexpectedly and just walk in and open up the refrigerator and say, what do you have to eat? (laughs) Can I get something? I'm like, yes, please. That's what it's for. Take some food home with you. I'm glad you're here. Let's hang out and play Minecraft because that's his love language and you have all kinds of opportunities like that so many ways to draw on the resources that god provides the emotional and spiritual and physical strength that he gives through his holy spirit and the redeemed common sense and the wisdom and the awareness of where you are uniquely and the people that god has put around you to turn yourself over and over again to to look forward to where we're heading and what that will look like and say, God, how can I make that more real here? Because your plan is flourishing and life and joy that more people would come to know your goodness. And most of all, especially, hopefully, that more people would come to know you through your son Jesus because of my investment and my involvement in their lives. God has called you into his kingdom mission of the restoration, ultimately, of all things through Jesus Christ and the expansion of God's shalom for all who will have it. That is eternal worship. Not a Sunday morning service that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. The song that never ends, right? This is not the song that never ends. But our lives start to become a song that never ends. A song of worship and praise and beauty and delight. Because that is ultimately the cure for our restlessness and our disappointment and our failed expectations. It's not going to work out that way here and now until Jesus comes again. The ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate satisfaction comes there and then, but we get to experience it now and bring more of it into this world. We have been created for worship. And even though we fell away from God, He has sent His Son to redeem us, to redeem our lives, so that they really would be worship. Eternal worship that starts now, reflects what we will be one day, and will carry on forever to bring joy and life and beauty and hope through Christ. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope and the beauty of what you have done. Stir our hearts all the more, Father, with what you are doing and what you will do in Christ that having been brought from darkness into the glorious kingdom of your Son, that our lives would reflect what we will be doing eternally, that our lives would be worship here and now that reflect your kingdom and your beauty and your glory and joy and life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.